Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. John chapter 15, we're in a, once again, we're, we're continuing uh, this series called the Follow Me series, which is the life in the, Jesus, uh, life in the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And uh, we are going through John chapter 15 this morning. Jesus is in the last moments of his life. He is speaking to his disciples. He is feeding into them some of the most rich, deep, uh, you know, teachings that we find um, in the Bible are, are found in, in John 13 through John 18. Uh, really, those, really, John 13 through 17 are, are the, the, the pinnacle teachings of Jesus to his disciples. And they're like the most crucial things that he wants them to understand before he goes away. And what I find is, is interesting is that, you know, you, you, as you work through those chapters as we are now, you're seeing that Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to be unfaithful. You're, some of you are going to betray me. Some of you are going to deny me. Uh, but listen, he comes to this place where, um, where he gets to uh, John 15. He says, listen, just remain in me, though. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that you're going to fail and falter, but you need to get back up and you need to press forward and you need to keep walking with me. You need to run the race as if to win, as Paul would say. And, and it's just a really good um, reminder to us of, of the picture of what it means to remain in Christ. John 15, to abide in Christ. It's, it's, he, is, he is a vine, and we are his branches, and the branches can do nothing but abide in the vine to get what, it, what we need in order to, to bear fruit. Nothing we can do outside of him to bear fruit in our lives. We can muster up all kinds of strength. We can try and help little ladies across the street, all these different things, but none of those things in and of themselves outside of abiding in Christ will yield fruit in your life. The only thing that will yield fruit in your life, real, lasting, divine fruit from the Holy Spirit who resides in those who are redeemed uh, is, in fact, when we abide in Christ. It's the only way that will happen. It's the only way that we can bear fruit. And so as we, as we come to this, this picture, we, we uh, went through s- seven and, uh, verses last week. I meant to get through the whole thing, but you know how that goes. And so we're going to definitely do that this morning. Um, John chapter 15, stand with me if you would, please. We're just going to read the first seven verses again. I'm going to give you an overview. Then we're going to move on to what we're going to talk about this morning. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And Father, we thank you again for your word this morning. We thank you for um, just reminding us, Lord, of the dire need for us to abide in Christ. Lord, you have not uh, redeemed us. Uh, caused us to be born again, that we might go out on our own and live our own lives apart from you. Lord, the, the fact that we have been regenerated, been born again to a living hope, 
means that we need so desperately for Christ to continue to sustain that work in our lives that we would become like him. And so we ask this morning that you would help us to know what it means in our life to abide in you. Lord, we ask you to convict our hearts in the areas that we aren't abiding, that we're not resting in you, that we're not remaining in you, that we're working in our own power, in our own flesh, Lord, to produce what it is that we think is fruit. But we ask you now to just speak into our hearts, into our lives. Help us to recognize that, like your word just told us, apart from you we can do nothing, but through you we can do all things. So we ask you, Lord, to speak into our lives now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So last week, as we begin John chapter 15, Jesus uh, reveals his identity and the identity of his father. He said, I am the true uh, vine. Now, when Jesus said, I am, he, he was declaring to his readers, he, you and I today, but also to his disciples, the, the moment he spoke those words, that he is God. And we talked about that. You can pick the, t- uh, the sermon up from last week on our website through our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. But the idea of Jesus saying, I am, you, you know, it's the seventh time he says it in the book of John. He is saying, I am God. And, and that comes back from Exodus chapter 2 or 3 where, where Moses is, he's speaking to Moses at the burning bush and he tells him, and Moses says, who am I supposed to tell, uh, the, you know, the people of Israel that, that sent me? And he says, tell them that I am who I am that I am sent you. And so I am becomes a title. It becomes a name of God. And, uh, and so Jesus identifies himself as the great I am here in this verse. Not only is the great I am, but he goes on and he says, he gives himself another title, I am the true vine. Now, Israel is a vine, it, and definitely, again, you can listen to last week. There are some scriptures in the Old Testament that speak about Israel being a vine, but they are not the true vine. They are simply a shadow, a foreshadowing of something else to come, and that something else is Jesus. Now, when Jesus was saying this, people don't really know where he was, and at the end of John chapter 14, he said, let's get up and go, and so some say he's still in the upper room getting ready to move out. Some say he's on his journey from the upper room, which is in Jerusalem, to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he will pray. We'll see here in a little bit here as he's praying there. Uh, and on the way, some say, well, he saw vines, and that's why he's saying this. Um, also, the, 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 um, the temple gate had vines on it. It's speaking as Israel of being the gate, uh, being the vine. The reality is, is that Jesus is, is the true vine. And uh, 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 Israel was never meant to be the source of life for people. They were meant to point people to the true vine who is Jesus. So he reveals himself as you know, not only God, but he is the source of life. If you want life, you have to come and abide in Christ. That's what he's saying. He goes on and he says, oh, and by the way, there's a vine dresser. There is somebody in the vineyard of this world that is working on your behalf to make sure that you're healthy, to make sure that you're bearing fruit. You know, we, we abide in Christ. He's our source of life. He provides everything we need to be fruitful internally, but then there is an external vine dresser that is making sure that the branches are healthy. Now, in ancient Israel, as, as you would go in a vineyard, the crops would, um, sometimes the branches would, be, would fall on the ground, and what the v- vine dresser would do is he would prop them up on a rock, which is interesting, then he would wash them, get the dirt off of them so that they could produce fruit, and that's exactly what the Father does for you and I. He comes in and he props us up. He lifts us up. And we'll talk about that in a second. 
but he lifts us up and he washes us clean. Jesus says, you are clean because of his words that he's spoken to them. They believed in his words, so they're clean. They've been washed by the vine dresser. They are ready and, um, to produce fruit. They are ready to, to be um, used by the Father to bear much fruit. And so as we move through this now, it, he gives us his identity, and then we find the first of nine blessings for those who abide. There are nine blessings that we find in this chapter. The first one we find in verses 2 through 6 is that uh, those who abide will bear much fruit. That's a blessing as, uh, for abiding. In verses 2 through 6, we see that um, Jesus is saying that you won't just abide. You, as you abide, you won't just gain some fruit, but you will bear much fruit. It, you know, if you want to bear fruit in your life, he's saying here's the formula. Abide in Christ. Again, the word means to remain in to be steadfast in. That, that means when you're going through hard times, when you're in difficult situations, you're being tempted that you're choosing to reside in Christ. You're not taking off that robe of righteousness and saying, I want to do something different. I'm going to reside in Christ. I'm going to stay in Him in those moments. I'm going to be strong and be of good courage. I'm going to remain in Christ. And, and, and again, um, he says, if you do that, you're going to bear much fruit. Now, the Father, he, he as the vine dresser, he cares for um, the branch. And he says here, there's two different kind of branches in this vineyard. He says that there are those that are barren. They are bearing no fruit. And it says here that the vine dresser will come, who is the Father. He will come, and he will take away those branches. Again, in the Greek there, that word can mean to literally take away, like to remove completely, or it can mean to lift up. Now, both are true, uh, you know, in, in the sense that, you know, if you're, uh, there are those branches who are the Judas-type branches, right? They're, they, they, they are mingling amongst the disciples, but they are not a disciple. There are those who claim themselves Christians who are not Christians. And the reality is true for those that are that, in that state, that they will be taken away. That, you know, just because you identify yourself as something, as we seem to be dealing with in our world today, doesn't mean it's actually true. Uh, if you identify yourself as a Christian, that doesn't mean that you're a Christian. You know, there will be fruit in your life if you're a Christian. You will be bearing fruit. You'll be a branch that will bear fruit. So, those that are not in Christ will be certainly taken away, even if they go to church every week, even if they know the Bible backwards and forwards. There will be many Pharisees that stand before the judgment seat of Christ that know the Scriptures far better than you do, that uh, live their lives far more, uh, you know, religiously and, you know, very rigid, and they will be cast away. They will be taken away. In verse 6, it says they will be cast into the fire. Now, that's one, diff one interpretation of that passage. The other you know, the other only reasonable one is that the word being translated there, take away, means to lift up, and that the Father would come and lift up the, the branch that is barren, that isn't bearing fruit. And that is true also. As a believer in Christ, I can be redeemed, I can be, um, you know, totally saved, and I can be in a state, in a season in my life where I'm not abiding in Christ, and therefore I'm not fruitful in my life. There's not fruit coming out of my life. Doesn't mean there once wasn't fruit in my life, but I'm in a season here, and, I, and, and the Father is faithful to lift me up, to wash me off, and to put me in a situation so that I can bear fruit. You know, in a vineyard, they put 
vineyards, uh, the branches up on trellises so that they can be exposed to the sun. That's how they bear fruit. The Father does the same for us. When we are downtrodden, we are not bearing fruit. He lifts us up, exposes us to the sun so that we can grow. And so the Father is just so faithful in that. Um, the Judas-type branch here, you know, the, the one that is not really a, a believer but says they're a believer, there's a scripture in 1 John 2.19 that says that very thing. They went out from us but were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And so many people will take this verse 2 there and they'll, you know, if they're an Arminius, they'll say this means that you can lose your salvation and all of that. That is not true. You, you can't lose your salvation because it's not held in you. It's in held in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're not going to be out of Christ. It's not you're in and you're out and you're in and you're out. You're not. You're either in or, you're, or you aren't. There is no in between. And if you're in, the Father will be working diligently in your life to lift you up and make you bear fruit. He will not leave you alone when you are, not, when you are barren in your life. He will not distance himself from you. He will not say, I, I can't be part of what you're doing because you're not bearing fruit. He will come alongside you and he will lift you up. He is a loving father. He cares for us and he wants to work through us. And his work is not only to work in the branch, but his work is also to work in the vine. That's why Jesus was fruitful. He told you himself, everything that I do, I do because the father told me to do. I am totally in sync with the Father. Just as we are to abide in Christ, Christ abided in the Father for everything that he did. If you want to be fruitful in your life, you must abide in Christ. Secondly, we see that um, if, we want to, if we want to be blessed uh, we, as we abide in Christ, we will cultivate uh, an effective prayer life. In verse 7 there, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Jesus says here, that if we abide in him and in his words. Now, what he means by this is that, um, you, you know, when we're abiding in his words, that we are abiding in, in, in the Father's will because Jesus spoke the Father's will always. He never spoke outside of the Father's will. Jesus' words are the Father's will for you and I. And so when we abide in him and in his words, that we, we come to know the will of God for our life. We come to realize what he's saying. We, we cultivate a, an effective prayer life in the idea that we can ask anything because we're in the will of God. When we abide in Christ, he says, I will make known my father's word. My, uh, if you abide in me and I abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We can ask anything because we're asking according to the will of the father. In John, uh, James chapter 4, verses 2 through uh, 3, it says this, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You're, you're speaking outside of the will of God. Lord, make this happen in my life. And if that's not his will for your life, then you're asking amiss. And we always ask well, what benefits us the most. Eh? Yeah, amen? I mean, when we're asking, we're asking, Lord, I, I'm asking that you benefit my life in this way. I'm asking you to work in my life in this way. Really? That the prayer should be, Father, whatever benefits you the most in my life is what I desire. That is the difference. There's a difference there. The focus is different. I'm more focused on God's will and what he wants for my life than I am about my comfort, ease, and pleasure. And so he says here, Jesus is telling us that if we abide in him, that we can ask anything in his name because the Father loves the Son and he loves those who love his Son. 
and he will do anything if you ask in his name, if you're abiding in him and you're abiding in his word. He goes on here, and, and he goes to the third blessing of those who abide, will bring glory to the Father. Verse 8 there, by this, my Father is glorified. Have you ever asked yourself why you're here? You ever said, Lord, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Is it only to be happy? If that's the case, I'm going to be sorely disappointed because I can tell you that happiness is fleeting, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But am I here? What am I here for? What is the point of my life? And some people get so discouraged in that question that they just give up. And they, they say, I guess I have no purpose. And people end their lives as a result of that. That is a lie from the devil. That is a lie from the devil to say that I have no purpose, that I was created for, for you know, some Menial, menial existence, and then, I, you know, I, I have no purpose in life. I can't be usable, and so I'm just going to take my own action, and I'm going to end my life. That is from the, from the enemy. That is not from God. God created you for a purpose. He has a purpose for your life. And the, the, the basically, the big, in the big picture, you know, if you zoom out and you say, what is the purpose of your creation? It is simply this, to bring God glory. That's why you exist. I mean, that is the main reason why you and I exist is to bring God glory. The Westminster Assembly, as they um, considered, you know, it was basically a group of dudes that got together and they asked a bunch of questions and they answered them. And they said, what is the chief end of man? And the answer was simply the chief end of man is to bring glory to God and to love him forever, to be satisfied in him, to enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why we're here. We're here to bring glory to the Father. The very next question should be then, how do I do that? How do I bring glory to the Father? If that's my chief end, then how can I be successful at it? Well, Jesus tells us right here, doesn't he? Abide in the vine. If you want to bring glory to the Father, you simply need to abide in Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see, even in our effective prayer, we are asking for the glory of God. You were saying, Lord, glorify yourself in this situation. And he gets glory through the Son. When you and I abide in Christ and in his word, God will be glorified. He will be glorified. And then you are doing exactly what you were called to do, what you were created to do. Also, as we abide, we bear much fruit, which also brings glory to God. In other words, you know, a vine dresser, he is honored and exalted based on the yield of his vineyard. He, he, the father is not just the kingpin of Napa Valley, folks. He is the kingpin of all the harvest of any kind of fruit in the world. Like his fruit is so incredible that, that he can stand and be honored as a, as a successful vin, vine dresser, the, somebody that is effective in making a, 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 a fruit, you know, fruit in people's lives. He is effective in that. And therefore, it brings him glory when we yield him fruit, if we abide. Paul said this. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. What that means is whether you're eating, 
whether you're drinking, very simple things. Those are things in our lives that we take for granted, yeah? And, and whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's your work or your chores or your homework or, you know, uh, whatever it is that you find yourself doing, your laundry, your dishes, ministering to somebody, a homeless person on the street, talking to your friend who's, you know, just going through a tragic time, whatever it is that you're doing, do it for the glory of God. How do I do that? You have to abide in Christ to do that. If you're abiding in Christ in the simple things, in the eating and drinking, and, and, and in your ministry and the things that God calls you to, you will bring glory to God. You can't but bring glory to God because you will bear fruit, and that will bring glory to God. If you want to be effective as a, as, a, as a branch, then you abide in Christ, and in so doing, you fulfill your purpose, which is to bring God glory. You can't glorify him any other way. Like, you can't do it on your own. If you want to glorify the Father, you have to do it through the Son. You have to abide in him. Going on in verse 8, um, there he goes, that you may bear much fruit and also prove to be my disciples. Not only is the blessing and abiding that, um, that you are going uh, to bring glory to the Father, but also that it will be evidence that you belong to him. So what he just said, that it'll be proof that you're my disciples. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you are and I are born again, we are born out of deadness into life. So we are barren, and then we are fruit-bearing. It's like when you come to Christ and he regenerates your life, you're born again, you become fruitful. You become somebody that, that will bear fruit, and that in and of itself is proof that you belong to Christ. Listen, if there's never been a change in your life, you have to ask yourself the question, am I really a Christian? Has anything changed in my life? Now, it varies for us, right? I mean, it depends on how we're raised and all these kind of things. If you're raised in a Christian home, you're obviously, you're probably not going to have the same kind of testimony as somebody that wasn't. So you can say like, wow, my, my life didn't really change. Listen, if Christ takes you, regardless if you were raised in a Christian home or not, you were dead. Like you were a dead person. And then you came to Christ and you were then alive. There's a drastic change in that, right? Now your actions and, your, and, and the way that you live your life might be almost identical. But something inside of you has been made new. You're a brand new person. You're no longer the same person. I, I heard of a pastor one time say, you know, he was, he was great. He was raised in a Christian home, and he was a youth pastor even. At, at the time, young guy, and, uh, you know, he was teaching the kids and all that. And, and he went to a, a youth conference. And as the teaching was happening and the Holy Spirit was ministering, and the altar call came, he found himself saying, I need that. I need Christ. There's something inside of me that isn't right yet, and I need to be made. And, and so he humbles himself. You know, he's, oh, I'm the youth pastor. You could imagine the spiritual warfare going on in that moment. And yet, out of the, uh, you know, just the, the, the drawing of the Father by the Holy Spirit, he comes and he accepts Christ, and his life changed. He wasn't the same person. He said, I couldn't, I, I thought I was, but I wasn't. I wasn't saved. 
But when I came to Christ for real, my life changed. My desires changed. Everything about me changed. Now, you know, your testimony might be different. You might not have been raised in the church. You might have been living life. And you know what darkness is because you've lived in it. You know what it looks like. And so for you, the difference is so drastic that it's like, well, yeah, I'm changed. When I got saved, you know, my own family member said, I don't even know that guy anymore. That was because Christ was in me. I was a new creation. But the point is this, though, is that if you're in Christ, there is a difference. And that difference will be manifest, and people will know. You will know, and other people will know, because you are going to bear fruit in your life. And it's by the fruit that, that you'll, you'll, you'll know that you're his. Jesus said that, um, you know, the fruit tells the picture of the tree. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 11 through 20, he said, Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them, false teachers, by their fruits. You'll recognize them. Now, it's not that they're fruitless. They just have bad fruit. He goes on here. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear uh, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by your fruits. What he is saying is that you can, you can be identified by the fruit in your life. You can tell. You can tell if somebody is a bad tree or a good tree. Real simple. You look at the fruit. There's no fruit on, on, on the vine, you know, or if, if the fruit is bad, then you know that's a bad tree. It's not abiding in, in what it needs to in order to get the sustenance, the source, whatever the source is, to provide what it needs to bear good fruit. It's not a good tree. But if it is a good fruit, it can't help but bear good fruit, right? It's the idea. If you're in Christ, you're going to bear fruit. There's going to be proof that you're a believer. One of the greatest indictments in your life should be if somebody asks you like, or, or make the comment like, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. That's not a compliment. Like you're like, wait a second, you didn't know I was a Christian. Oh, man, well, what is that saying? What is that saying? You know, I'm not, there's a whole bunch of different things that's saying, but, uh, you know, the reality is we have to ask ourselves, am I bearing fruit? Is my tree good? Am I regenerated? Am I really his? It's unfortunate we live in a day and an age where we have, to, we have to get people unsaved to get them saved, right? We have to help people understand that if they're not, if they haven't had a collision with Christ, if their life hasn't radically changed, if they're not living upside down, um, then, not in, 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 then they may not be in Christ and you have to get them to understand that. That's a difficult thing. We live in the South, in the Bible Belt, and unfortunately, that is the case. You've got to get people unsaved so you can get them saved. And it's a sad thing, but Jesus said, the reality is this, you will bear fruit. It will prove that you are my disciples because you will bear fruit. Are you bearing fruit? Has there been fruit in your life? This is introspective question. You have to ask yourself this. You can't ask your neighbor. You can't ask your friend. You know the Father is very clear because he loves you and he cares about your eternal state. He will tell you the truth. Lord, am I really a believer? I, I know that I ask myself that question a lot, you know, and, and found myself in that place of Romans 7 where Paul said, the things that I want to do, I'm not doing. The things that I want to do, 
uh, things that I don't want to do, I am doing. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then you get to Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. What I'm saying is, is that you can find yourself in this quandary of, of asking, Lord, am I saved? And um, that's not necessarily an unhealthy thing, but you have to recognize that you're not perfect. You know, has there been change in my life? Is there fruit in my life? These kinds of things. Jesus said, that is proof that you belong to me if there's fruit in your life. But this is something that we can't manufacture. It's not something that we, you know, um, I think it was Ted Tripp that used this analogy of fruit bearing. And he said there are people, you know, and he, he, he drew this illustration of this tree. He said there are people that climb a ladder and they tape fruit on branches and they say, look at me. Look at, I'm a fruit bearing tree. But you put the fruit there. It's not real fruit. It didn't, it wasn't a result of what you were in. It was a result of your own doing. What, what he was saying is that, you know, there are good moral people that are not redeemed, that have, you know, some, some they're just good people. They're just nice people. They're, they're not looking to harm people. They're, they, they try and do what's good to people. That doesn't mean that you're redeemed. You know, it's not external. It's internal. It's something that you have to ask yourself. That's why Paul said, man, you, I mean, with fear and trembling, you should be asking yourself that question. Am I redeemed, Lord? Am I really in you? Fifthly, Jesus goes on here, the blessing of abiding is a greater understanding of Christ's love for you. He said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love for you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus is saying he loves us as the Father loves him. Now, how does the Father love the Son? The Bible tells us, specifically, it's a peculiar kind of love. Not strange, but peculiar in, in, in the sense that it is exclusive. It is distinct. Like in Mark chapter 1, verses, verse 11, it says, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The, the Greek word there for beloved is agapatos, and it means the, the object of peculiar love. It's a peculiar in the way that it's distinct. It is exclusive to the recipient. Jesus is the only begotten son, and therefore he loves his, his son with a distinct kind of love, with a very peculiar kind of love. Jesus says, so do I love you. I love you in the same way that the Father loves me. It's a very distinct, exclusive kind of love. Like there is a love that God has for the world, John 3.16, right? It's not the same kind of love that he has for his own. It is a redeeming love. It is an, it, it is an unconditional love, but it is not a relational love. The relational love that God has for you and I as we're in Christ is a peculiar, it's distinct, it's different. And Jesus says, I love you like the Father loved me. Now, we know the Father loves the Son. He's well-pleased in his son. And Jesus is saying, as you abide in me, I am well-pleased in you. I'm well-pleased in you if you just would rest in me. If you would allow me to provide what you need to produce the fruit in your life that I desire to produce. I am well-pleased with you when you are abiding in me. So abide in me. Abide in my love. He, said, he goes on and he says, well, how do I know that I'm, that I'm abiding? Because you'll do what he says. You'll keep his commandments. You're, you're not living a dual life. You're not saying, oh, Lord, I love you so much, and you go out and do completely the opposite. doesn't mean you don't stumble. 
doesn't mean you don't get tripped up. But in so doing, you're still coming back, falling on your face, repenting, saying, Lord, help me in this area. Forgive me. There's repentance. That, that means you're turning away and you're turning back to Christ. I want to abide in you, Lord. He says, if you're abiding in me, then you're going to do what I say. You're going to do what I ask you to do. And that's going to prove that my love abides in you. Listen, I, and as we do that, as we walk in the Lord, as we commune with him, we gain a greater understanding of God's love for us. Is not not true for your life? How long have you walked with the Lord? I've been walking with the Lord for 20-some years, and, and I can tell you that my understanding of God's love today is so different than it was when I first believed. I mean, as I have abided in Christ, and he has helped me to understand the depth of his love, you know, that, that there is... There is nothing in my life that I can do to run away from his love. Like, he loves me. He loves me with an enduring kind of love. He loves me with a pursuing kind of love. His love is so vast and so great. And we, we hear it all the time, God loves you. But, but you gain a greater understanding of what that means for you personally as you abide in Christ. If you're abiding in him, then you're going to be, listen, blown away by his love. If you are not blown away by his love today, you are not abiding in Christ. If you are not today have a greater understanding of the love that God has for you, then you've somewhere along the way stopped abiding in him in some way because he is revealing his love daily, like his, the depth of his love to you. You'll never get to the end of it. How could you get to the end of that kind of love that would cru be crucified, that would die for you, that would raise again from the dead for you, that would become your, you know, we get that he died, but you, we don't understand the wrath of God was poured upon Jesus Christ. His love for you is so much more than you could ever understand. But he wants to reveal it, and it's step by step. You don't just come to Christ and have a perfect understanding of his love. As I walk with my wife in a relationship with her, I love her differently today than I ever have loved her because we're in a relationship and it's growing. And the more I see how she interacts with me and, and all my junk and all my stuff, you know, and, and I see her love me anyway, I gain a greater understanding of her love. That's Christ in you. He reveals to you, man, you, you think like, Lord, I, have you ever asked yourself that, Lord, how could you love me? Look who I am. Look what I've done. And he just says, oh, I love you anyway. I didn't love you because you could do everything right. I love you because I created you. I love you because I want to be in you in right relationship with you. I want to redeem you. I love you. And he, and he reveals that depth to us as we continue to walk in him. Not only that, but he also wants to fill us with his joy. That is also a blessing of abiding. Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Jesus tells us of the need to abide because that's how we live in the joy of the Lord. Now, joy, as you know, is not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. I am happy today because nothing is going awry in my life. Or I am not happy today because I'm dealing with all this stuff in my life and it's just so hard and I'm not happy. Joy is not happiness. I mean, it, it, you can be happy and be full of joy, but you can also be totally sorrowful and full of joy at the same time. The idea of the psalmist saying, 
you turn my mourning into dancing. That is called joy. When the Father can take your mourning, the most difficult things that you're going through in your life, and you can rejoice through them, even though you're pain, there's pain in your heart that you are suffering immensely inside, but you rejoice because He can turn your mourning into dancing. That is joy. That is the joy of the Lord where you recognize that He is bigger and He's enough. But it, it, even though you're going through the things that you're going through, the joy of the Lord is your strength, the Bible says. As you rest in Christ, as you abide in Christ, He fills you with His joy, not your joy. His joy, and then your joy becomes full. If you're not full of joy, perhaps it's because you're not abiding in Christ and not receiving His joy. Because His joy is different than your joy. He wants you to experience fullness of joy, but you, you can only do that if you abide in Him. Paul said, we can rejoice in the Lord always. And that's what Jesus is saying. Joy is rejoicing regardless of the circumstances. And Jesus says, I want to give you that kind of joy. When Jesus went to the cross, Hebrews chapter 12, it says, verse 2 there, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, that he despised the shame, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. It was the joy of Christ that went to the cross. You think it was fun for him to go to the cross? Was he happy? He was joyful as he laid out his life for you and I. Jesus said some of the most profound things on the cross. You know, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To tell us die, it is finished. And some awesome things came out of it. It was the joy of Christ on the cross. So when you're in that moment of being the sacrificial lamb, consider it pure joy, brethren, as, Paul, as James would say. Be full of his joy. If you're abiding in Christ, his the fullness of your joy will be complete in him. He will put his joy in you. Seventh blessing of abiding is the ability to love others. Look at verse 12 there. This is my commandment that I love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you, have, if you do what I command you. Another blessing that comes if we're abiding in Christ is that you and I will have the ability to love others. Now, this is the first fruit of the Spirit. For the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of that as a reality of the Holy Spirit within you. And you get those fruits in your life as you abide in Christ. You're abiding in His power, in His love, in who He is, in His Word. He says here that when we, when we abide in Him, that we will love one another as he has loved us. Now, how does Christ love you? Well, Christ loves me any way that I am. Do we love each other that way, even in the church? Do we love each other that way? Are we loving each other even just the way that we are? Or are we circumstantial with our love? Are we saying, hey, you know, I'm conditional with it. I love you now, but I don't love you. I love you then, but I don't love you now because of the way that you treat me or whatever. The Lord is saying, I mean, that is a man kind of love, right? Unconditional. But when you come to Christ, he puts his love in you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That kind of love loves people when they're unlovable. He loved you at your darkest moment, and he's saying you can love people at their darkest moment if you allow his love to flow through you as you abide. 
Now, there are very, very difficult people in this world that don't, you know, they don't want to be loved. <laughs> they, they don't, they, 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 but Christ says, hey, it's possible to love them because I love you at your worst. It's possible to love that person in your life that, that, that is, you know, you're just, that is your, I guess, the, the thorn in your flesh. You're just thinking, Lord, if you would get rid of this person, it would be a blessed subtraction. You know, I mean, I don't care if you take them out of this world. You know, hey, hold, hold on a second, you know, really. You love them. Christ loved his enemies. How do we know that? Because I was one of his enemies, and so were you. And he loved me right where I was. And he's saying as we love, as we abide in him, his love will flow through us, and we'll be able to love one another the way that we're supposed to. We have to remain in Christ in order to do that. Listen, there are missionaries that go to countries that they're not welcome to, to a people that will reject them as they try to bring the gospel to them, but it's the love of Christ in them that constrains them, compels them to go into that area and some of them end up laying down their life. And you think, how senseless is that? No, that's love. That's what Jesus is saying. Greater love is no one than this, than one that would lay down his life for his friends. He's saying that he loves, you know, he loves us that much that he would lay down his life. We should love each other that much that we would lay down our lives. It's impossible in and of our own power. It's only through, through the love of Christ that we can do that. It's through abiding in him. Are you loving people that way? Are you loving them with that sacrificial kind of love where you'd be willing to give up your life for him? Listen, that is called maturing in Christ, folks. When you recognize more and more that it's less about you and it's more about him. It's more about how he wants to work through your life. Lord, pour your love out through me into other people. And man, they might not receive it, they didn't receive him, but we do it anyway because that's what we do when we abide. We love. Eighthly, the blessing of abiding is great, greater revelation of God's will. Fifteen, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. Did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Now, in the rabbis in Jesus' day, they would consider their disciples their servants. Say, oh, you're, you're my servant because you're my student. So the students were servants. Jesus is saying, no longer do I call you servants, but now I call you friends. There's a change in the relationship here. Jesus is saying he, he, he now calls them friends, and when he, you're, you're in, that means you're in a relationship with Jesus, that you're no longer a servant of Christ, but you're a friend of Christ. Now, friends serve each other, don't they? There's still that servant heart, but the relationship has changed. You are no longer servants, but he calls you friends. And listen, what Jesus does to his friends is mind-blowing. He reveals the Father's will to you and I. He goes, he says here, for all that I have heard from the Father, I've made known to you. Everything that he said, he didn't say on his own accord. He spoke it because the Father spoke it through him. And he spoke it to you and I. 
some of us are, you know, still struggling in, in, with the will of God in our life, and we're asking, Lord, what is your will for my life? I don't understand. And, and you know, you even get to the point where you get frustrated with God, and, and, um, and you, you are saying, Lord, are you just trying to hide this from me? I mean, it's not like I'm not seeking you. Your word tells me if I seek you, I'll find you. And I'm really trying to understand all this. Uh, you know, and, and, and Jesus says, well, maybe the, maybe the real issue is you're not abiding. Maybe the real issue is that you're trying to wrestle my will out of me rather than resting in the vine and the letting the vine speak the Father's will into my life. I'm trying to wrestle it out of Christ. I'm wrestling with the vine. You're going to bear fruit in my life. All right, you're going to come. Now you push some of that up in here so I, you know, I can know God's will. He, he, listen, God wants to reveal his will to you. Do you know that? It's not a secret. Like he wants you to know his will. And so if you're wrestling right now, the answer is not to wrestle more. The answer is to abide, to rest in Christ and just say, Lord, I know, you, I know you love me enough that you'll show me when it's time. I know that you'll show me exactly what you want me to do when it's time. And, and I can tell you from my own experience, that is when I give up, anybody ever, when you raise the white flag, you say, Lord, I just surrender now because I am tired of trying to figure it out. Then all of a sudden, boom. Well, that was easy. Huh. Who would have thought that was the way that, that Christ would reveal the will of the Father to me is when I'm resting in him and not wrestling with him. It's interesting how that happens. Jesus wants to make known the Father's will for you and I. Um, he goes on here. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you. If he chose you, which he did, and he appointed you, is he not going to tell you what to do? Is he not going to reveal to you what it is that he wants for your life? He chose you. He appointed you. He will direct you. You can rest in that. You can trust in that because Jesus tells us that. And he is going to bear, he's going to bear fruit in your life. And all you need to do is abide. The answer is not, you know, trying to muster up more strength and, and, and you know, all this kind of stuff. It's just to simply rest in Christ. We go on here to the ninth and final point. The blessing of abiding is that you will, listen to this, have persecution. Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would, would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoke, spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. And you might say, like, well, how is that a blessing? To be hated by the world, to be persecuted by the world. Well, Jesus said that in the, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. He said, blessed, oh, how happy is what that word means, 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Why is it a blessing to be persecuted? Well, because it means you're living like Christ. He said there's a blessing in the fact that there's a reward. That's great. But, but really, more importantly, it means that you are being Jesus. That he, you, you are living in such a way that the, the world can't ignore you. Like you're, you're not going to get that question, oh, I didn't know you were a Christian. You're not going to because the world sees you. He sees Christ in you. They see you. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 4.14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It, it is, again, it's a proof that you belong to Christ. It means that you're, I don't want to say doing something right, but yes, you're living in the right way. Now, don't manufacture the persecution. Don't go seek it. Listen, you can, I've seen people do it. They deserve it. Like, it's like, that's not the kind of persecution that Christ is talking about. This is self-affliction, right? You might as well go and beat yourself because you deserve it, right? And, and so he, he's saying not that kind of persecution. It's persecution because they hated me. It's because you're living in such a way that they can see Jesus in you. It's, it's really not you they hate. It's Jesus. And you're living such transparently that Jesus is being hated through you in your life. Now, you might be the only Christian in your office. You might be, you know, um, the only Christian in your neighborhood. You might be the only Christian in, or whatever. You might be a Christian even. It doesn't have to be the only one. But you might be despised in that circle of life that you live because they see Jesus in you. And they hated Jesus, and so they're going to hate you. You can't change that. But what you can do is can you continue to be like Jesus, Right? Like, that's where the other part of this comes in, where we're talking about loving people. We're not loving people in their sin, but we're loving them even though they're hating us. I mean, we're serving them because even though they're not serving us, even though they're persecuting us, you know, we're doing these things. The name of Jesus is just reviled, man. I mean, I have literally experienced the earth's axis change as somebody rolls their eyes when you say Jesus in public. You ever seen that before? Like, well, I think the earth's axis just changed because of that roll in your eyes there because you despise Jesus so much. It's the name of Jesus, folks. And, you know, when, when you are living that evidence, when you are living evidence of Christ in your life, you are going to experience the same things he did. You know, the world looks at Christ as he is just ridiculous. He is a fable. Who is this Jesus, you know, th this, this fable, this, this fake? And if they see Jesus that way, they're going to see you that way. And don't try and change their perception of you. You just keep living your life out, and you don't worry about it. And especially the young people, you know, in here, it, as you're living for Christ, you know, and, and you're trying to figure out, listen, your identity is in him and him alone. It's not in what everybody else thinks about you. It's not in, you know, what your friends think about you or anything else. It's in what, what matters is what Jesus thinks about you, right? And your identity is in him. So don't allow 
other influences to change the way you live your life. You live your life. I tell my kids, you know, they're, they're in public school now, and, and I've, we, we are, you know, exp- we're have, we got all kinds of stories, all kinds of interesting things going on. But you know what? It's a good thing because my kids are learning what it means to be in the world but not be of the world. You know, and that's our prayer for them is, Lord, protect them as they're in there. But, but the stories they come home with are just like, what? Are you kidding me? From teachers even. You know, and you're just like, wow, it's crazy. Hey, keep living for Christ. Don't stop living for Christ, you know? And you gravitate towards those in your, in, your, in your circle of life that are living for Christ, and you stay together, and you strengthen, and you continue to shine. And it's a beautiful thing. But Jesus said that it was going to happen, and you, you see that in the world. There are Christians being killed. There, there are all kinds of factions of the devil that are persecuting the Christ in people and just killing people because they don't want Christ. Do you know Nepal wants to declare that they, they want to declare that they are a Christless nation. I mean, that's what they want to hang their hat on. We are a Christless nation. And so anybody that goes in there that tries to bring Christ, guess what? They will die. You think people are still going there? You bet. Why? Because God loves those people. And the people... Um, that understand their mission in life, that understand that it's not about them but about Christ, they're going anyway because they recognize that, hey, greater love is no one than this. The one that would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did it for me. I will do it for him. If you live your life like that, you won't miss his purpose in your life. But Jesus said it's the person who tries to hold on to their life with everything that they have because they, they think they can gain life, and he says you'll lose it. You'll lose it. You may not lose your salvation, which you can't. You may not, but you may lose your reward. Because Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so you may lose something as a result of not being willing to stand for him. But Jesus will never deny you if you're really his. And so don't deny him. Live for him, regardless what it means, right? Just keep loving your enemies and living like God's calling you to live, amen? The reality is this, that if we abide in Christ, we will be blessed and we will be fruitful. That's what he's telling us. So abide and make Jesus the center of your life, not an adjunct to your life. Make him the center of your life. That's what it means to abide. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and just for the the depth of what you're saying to us here today, Lord. Father, we recognize that... um, Our soul sustenance is found in Christ. That there is nothing good in us, but it's Christ in us that yields the good fruit that you desire for our lives. And so this morning, Lord, we ask that you would put in our hearts a surrender to you that we might abide that much more than we are, Lord. You know exactly where we find ourselves this morning. If we are self-reliant and we are self-made and we are doing all this self-stuff, then we are not abiding in you at all. And we, you know you care for us so much that you'll reveal that to us. Lord, let us just take a few moments to just sit before you now and just to allow your spirit to, to speak into our lives intimately, specifically, 
about this thing of abiding. And Lord, may we respond this morning as appropriate, Lord. If we haven't been abiding, then Lord, may we repent and turn and ask you to help us to abide now. We know that you'll strengthen us to do that, Lord, because you're the vine. You're the source of everything. Your desire is to to, to help us to, to be all that we're called to be. And so today, Lord, for, for those that aren't abiding, you help us do that. And for those that are, Lord, that you just encourage them to press forward, continue abide in you, that there is nothing outside of you, Lord, that can produce anything good. We can do nothing outside of you. And so just encourage your body this morning, Lord, as we take these last few minutes and just rest in you. We thank you, Lord. We ask you, Father, just for just a cleansing of sickness in this place today. Uh, we ask you just for uh, just a depth of growth in your, in your body and for maturing, Lord. And we ask you to just um, help us, Lord, to not allow these words to fade away in our hearts, but may they become an anchor to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.